Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 143. Lori Bedke is my guest today. Lori is someone who I have found to be an incredibly warm and welcoming personality on social media, in healthcare leadership, and really just around the concept of the growth mindset. And that is the topic that we get into today. She brings people onto her podcast. She writes, she goes to conferences all around the country. She pours so much energy into growing and improving the profession of medicine, but also really focusing on helping individuals grow into what they aspire to be. And that comes from the place of a quote that I put at the top of the show notes where she says, I aspire to be the leader that I needed. And that really resonated. This is a wonderful conversation with a really fascinating and dynamic person. We go into all kinds of fun stuff. We get really deep on how she dismantled some stereotypes, including one of mine. We get into the idea of what growth mindset means to her, and we have a really fun sideline into something that struck me, and I tweeted about it at the time, Rose Lavelle's extraordinary goal that clinched the Women's World Cup for the U.S. Women's National Team. And then we also tangle a little bit over a chart that I have put on my social media feed several times that reflects the growth of healthcare administrators over time relative to changes in the numbers of physicians in the United States over time. There's a link to it in the show notes. Definitely take a look. This is a really fun conversation with someone who has really created an interesting and important career for herself. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Before we get to the episode, as usual, just want to remind you, please take a look at the archive for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Check me out on social media. I'm very active on Twitter at ETS Show, very active on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. There's a ton of links for all the great stuff that Lori is doing in the show notes. I would ask you to please check all of that out as well, especially some of these conferences that are coming up. They are really, really interesting. Click on the links, take a look at what the content is, pick the one that's close to you and go. We keep the content coming at Explore the Space, so please subscribe wherever you like to download your podcast. We're on all of the major platforms. You can also leave us a rating and a review, and that is much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast as well. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, Lori Bedke. Lori, thank you so much for coming on Explore the Space. This is is going to be fun. I'm excited. Mark, it is such a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation. All right, we have we have we have work to do, so let's start. You have created a career portfolio that I think is absolutely fascinating. And I will direct people early in this episode to take a look at your website, which is basically your name, lauriebedkey.com, because it frames this role that you've created for yourself. And for me, it feels like you've created this almost out of whole cloth, because you've been doing it for a while. How did you kind of plant your flag and and create this corner for yourself in terms of being the director of healthcare leadership at Creighton University, doing all of the coaching work that you do, writing the books? How did, how did you get to a place where you said, that's where I'm going to plant my flag and build my career? Because I don't think a lot of people were doing it at that point. You know, that's a really fascinating question, Mark, and um, it is not 
an easy one. So that must be the only one we're talking about this morning, right? <laughs> I, I, I yeah. kid, I kid. Um, no, you know, it, it is a journey. I think anyone's career is a journey. And so for me, I, I started a traditional career, what, what looked traditional at the time early in my career as a healthcare administrator. And yes, I am a member of the dark side identified, um, but I have a graduate degree in healthcare administration. And I started my career thinking I would be a healthcare executive for the entirety of my journey. And I got about five years into my career and I had been having some amazing opportunities, been working really hard and becoming well networked. But I saw an opportunity in the market space to start a consultancy, to become an entrepreneur. And I realized um, that I identified as an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur growing up. And so um, I had that strong drive and desire and felt a calling in that regard. And um, this was in the physician practice space. Um, I'd worked on the physician practice side of healthcare leadership. And um, back in the early 2000s, when nationally we saw so many of those acquisitions of physician practices and that reversal of that kind of trend that had been occurring in healthcare, so many physicians were going back out into private practice. And because my work in healthcare administration was in managing the physician practice side of, of healthcare leadership, I started a consultancy and I started helping physicians navigate back into private practice and have so enjoyed the opportunity to blend, you know, that technical knowledge that I'd acquired and the work that I had done, but with a passion for um, being an advisor to other people and helping other people to become entrepreneurs. I'm a huge advocate for physicians in um, an autonomous private practice environment, though that is more and more rare as we sit here today. But throughout that time as well, over the course of my career, I've done quite a bit of adjunct teaching in graduate programs. And um, I also really started having a strong affinity toward uh, wanting to teach in other informal, non-academic ways. And so uh, in 2005, 2006, I started feeling like I wanted to start building a, a speaking practice. And so I did that as well. Um, I know that you and I share an amazing colleague in Jennifer Best. One of her favorite terms that I, I love so much is pluripotent. Um, and so I, I, you know, resonate, that word resonates with me as I think of um, what my career journey has looked like. But it really is just following so many drives or passions to um, help other people to um, do the work that I enjoy the most, which for me is a lot about building. It's a lot about teaching. It's a lot about um, being a better leader myself and continuing to grow in my knowledge, but then being around other people who have that strong propensity as well. And so um, it is, it's been a little bit organic, but also a little bit intentional and being somebody who's been willing to see an opportunity and say, why not me and raise my hand. I want to go upstream a little bit because as you were saying that there's there's an assumption that underpins the work that you do and then your subsequent success. And I want to make sure that I understand how this worked because like you said at the beginning, you, you're not a physician and you work counseling physicians on how to build a private practice. Now you do work counseling and teaching and coaching physicians in terms of leadership skills and performance improvement and all of those vital skills that we need. 
but there's there's a barrier that I think at some point you either consciously or unconsciously were able to get past, which is the one that I would imagine with any profession, but I know it's true in medicine that when we're approached by someone offering what you offer, the first reflex is you don't understand what we do because you're not a physician. And I would imagine with any profession, it's you don't understand what we do because you're not a blank. So why would I listen to you? You haven't done what I've done. You haven't walked what I've walked. You haven't you know, been there at three o'clock in the morning. Why am I listening to you? Clearly, you surmounted that. You, that that's been bypassed and that's way in the rearview mirror. But how? <laughs> that's not easy work to do. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I guess I've never really thought about it very much, Mark, because in truth, I haven't faced that barrier or that response all that often. And really, um, that's good to maybe, hear. Maybe that's an oddity. It, it's not that it hasn't ever happened, but yeah. I think that um, it really is all, it all rests on the foundation of relationship. Yeah. And so I'm someone who has invested very heavily in um, just building relationships and building rapport and trust with other people. Um, it's interesting because um, I actually lean quite a ways toward the introvert side of the social spectrum. I much prefer solitude. And so I, by nature of the work that I do in my career, I have long been very active in a, in a relationship building or a networking perspective professionally. And I really thoroughly enjoy it. But not on the large mega scale, I guess I default to, and maybe the reason why I haven't encountered that challenge that you just described as much is that I've always defaulted to just building rapport and building relationship and then letting um, that uh, advisory or or interaction of, of information exchange to rest upon a foundation of, of trust and connection. And it's interesting because as time has gone on, one of the that one of the things that I've actually advised others on as they face similar challenges to that, whether they're a physician wanting to engage in leadership and, and being asked to step up in that way and not feeling like their voice, you know, would be welcome and or vice versa when, you know, when the conversation is the opposite. I mean, if we point right back to what science tells us, what research shows us is that diversity of thought, diversity of, you know, cognitive preparation, diversity of background um, in how we come to a table is always going to allow for an outcome to be optimal or, or more optimal. And so it, it is logical then, no less challenging, but logical then that if we surround ourselves with people who bring a diverse thought process or way of approaching problems or even a discipline in their technical expertise, um, we will actually benefit from being in their company and being in conversation and exchange with them because they will see things differently. It will always be more challenging. And I think diversity is very inefficient for those reasons and, and many, many others that we could dig into. But so that's why we don't often approach them. But I think leadership is leadership. And so many of the challenges that we all wrestle with um, of the human quotient or of the emotional or social quotient um, are germane to industry. So it doesn't matter if you're in law or accounting or engineering or medicine or um, any other field that we might include on that list. 
so many of the challenges that we all face internally, personally, and then in teams, and even in approaching the technical issues, the tactical pieces of our work are, are not necessarily unique to that field. And so I think it's wise of any of us to put ourselves in the company of people who walk very different paths. Um, and have different backgrounds because we'll be better informed. And usually uh, we can start to shed our biases a little bit more effectively. And then we can be open to the insight, the expertise, the wisdom that comes from talking with people um, like that and then being able to be under their counsel. I think you've just sort of helped me have a, a bit of a eureka moment with respect to this idea of physicians resisting outside coaching. I've felt that way for so long and I've seen it for so long, but you, I've worked with a lot of physicians. You've worked with more. If you're not experiencing that, then I probably either have an outdated or an incorrect supposition. So that's actually really helpful because then the conversation can start with not so much wondering how this person broke through to physicians. Like maybe we're not that hard to deal with or work with. Maybe that's a little bit of a stereotype that we've had for a long time. And maybe isn't applicable anymore. And given that I kind of bridge a couple of different generations and, and a couple of different styles in terms of how, how our practice is done, perhaps it's ready for me to retire that. I don't know that that's, I mean, it's, like I said earlier, it's not that it doesn't exist. And maybe I've just uh, curated my circle in a somewhat insular way, although I definitely, you know, walk in some pretty diverse communities. And so I think it's if you're around people who have come to the realization that, hey, I need to, as you would say, step into the tension of giving myself some exposure to individuals or embracing that uncomfortable part of the journey of being in rooms where I might not be the content authority, I might not be the smartest one, or I might be stepping into conversations where I'm not as seasoned or, you know, the person that everyone's looking to for the answers. I can grow to become that person if I continue to, you know, put myself in those uncomfortable positions of needing to kind of, you know, lower my guard just a little bit, set my ego aside, and then be the person who's going to seek out the insight from someone who has very different knowledge, but knowledge that I'm maybe realizing is some that I need. I'm getting a good understanding Full disclosure, I have not heard you speak in public yet, but I'm getting a good understanding of why you're popular. That's a really smart approach. Not that you're humbling yourself before a crowd, but that you're, you know, arriving in front of an audience. You know, some of them are looking at their iPhones. Some of them are still drinking coffee. They're all, you know, we're at a conference. We're being social. We're goofing off. That's a really good way to engage with a crowd in terms of some inquiry and, and a sense of humility, not where you're, you know, coming hat in hand, but like, look. We're kind of here to do this work. That's a really, really good way to do it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting to hear you say it that way. But I think we are all people, and yeah. especially any of us who are going to um, lead others, whether we're leading by example and others just are observing us, and we're not even formally leading them, um, or if we are wanting to be someone who rises into more formal positions of authority, I think we do have to. Um, really take a humble, growth-oriented approach, and that is never going to happen in an individual, insulated way. It always happens in a really messy, really humbling way, or at least it has been in my experience. How important is the word growth to you? You've said it three or four times so far. Your podcast has the word growth in it. 
I would say on your website, if we were to do one of those really cool diagrams where a word gets larger based on its frequency, I've forgotten what that's called, but I love those. And then you can click on the word and it takes you, how important is that word to you? Hugely important. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if there is one in my vernacular that's more <laughs> important. Yeah. And it's because I think I look at it as a journey, Mark. I I know that I need to continue to grow, partly because that's my propensity. That's my style. Um, but I've often said that I, um, you know, that I aspire to be the leader that I needed and I enjoy being around others that take that same approach and I encourage others to be that. And frankly, I don't think that there's a finish line on that journey. And to me, that's exciting Um, because if you are, um, I love Carol Dweck's uh, work and her book and I strongly encourage it to others. I identify with a growth mindset, but I think that we have to continue to grow because our industry, healthcare is one of the most disrupted on the planet ever. And we can't do what we did yesterday or when we came into this industry or or a profession and continue to thrive. Medicine doesn't look today like it did when you came out of medical school, does it? No, no, it does not. You said the word yesterday. Uh, I'm curious, did you... We're going to timestamp our episode a little bit. The Women's World Cup final was yesterday. Did you watch yes. it? Yes, I did. Okay. The second goal that the U.S. scored, the one that was that solo effort from Rose Lavelle. Yes. So I actually I saw it happen. I watched the highlights, and I subsequently put on social media that I want to live my life the way she took that goal. And if you look at it right, she gets the ball just out, just past midfield. There's a bunch of space between her and the next defender. She went in a straight line. She went right into traffic as fast and as hard as she could. She got to a barrier, right? A defender closed down on her. She switched direction. She pivoted. She went to her weak side. She's not left-footed, I don't think. I might be wrong, but I don't think she's a lefty. I'm a lefty, so I, I can spot a, I can spot the other lefties, I think. I might be wrong, but switch, switches direction regardless and then just takes the most beautiful goal. That goal is going to live on in history for the rest of our lives. I want that mindset for the rest of my life. I want to attack everything and approach everything. the way, And that's why I love sports so much. What a perfect 10-second reflection of what you were just saying around a growth mindset, right? She didn't back down. There was space. She took it. She went right at the challenge. She got past the challenge, and she succeeded. It was awesome. I loved it. I did. I was a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the team. Actually, my husband and I, a couple of weeks ago, saw the ladies play their second game. Um, against Chile while we were over abroad celebrating. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. And it was so phenomenal. But, um, you know, the reason I say yes, but is because that took so much courage. Totally. Rose totally. has so much moxie. All those ladies do. And she could have just as easily failed and fallen flat on her face, but she was all in and she played with so much courage in that moment. And that could have equally ended poorly. Now, poorly, what does that mean? You know, you take a shot on goal and you miss or a defender comes out of your blind side and you know, you, you don't have that beautiful opportunity, but so many of us play it safe and don't want to take the chance of the whiff or the wide right or left, or, you know, the blind side that we don't ever 
go all in like that. And I think that's why it's so beautiful to you and why it was so awesome to me as well to see that moment. But that's also pretty rare. And and I think we can all agree that that is very commonplace in any of our, you know, yesterday, today, we'll we'll walk into our offices or our, our, our institutions and we'll say, we'll see, you know, kind of a bell curve. Life is a bell curve. We'll see, you know, some people that are on that right standard deviation that are going for it, that are all in. And then we'll see, you know, the the standard bell curve or bulge of, of reality, which is a lot of safety. So I agree with all of what you just said. I will add the one other thing that I think I'm a huge sports fan. I'm a huge soccer fan. One of the things that drives me crazy, and I think a lot of sports fans and a lot of soccer fans, particularly in the United States, she didn't dive, right? She didn't take a fake hit. She didn't drop. She didn't look for help. She didn't blame. She could have, right? The defender yep. closed down and a right at the top of the box. She could have gone down and looked for a penalty, and she didn't. And she just, I mean, that's going to be the iconic goal of American soccer, right? That supplants Brandy Chastain, that supplants Landon Donovan. That's the iconic goal of American soccer now. And it's because of yep. what you just said, right? It's that mindset. It's the preparation. It's the confidence. It's all that stuff that... I think probably when someone hears you speak or somebody else that's coming with that mindset, we want that. And if we find somebody who can help us build the skills to get that, whether it's at work or at home or on the soccer pitch or wherever, we're going to gravitate to it. And I would probably suggest that physicians, just like anyone else, want that. And that's why I feel like what you were saying earlier, I'm, I'm kind of ready to retire this idea that physicians don't want to hear from people outside of the specialty. I agree. And I think so many of us train so hard. What Again, whatever our discipline, um, we train so hard to gain content authority and to be able to be well-regarded, sought out, trusted for our expertise. And so as we advance and as and as we elevate in our career and in that visibility, it does become way more intimidating to want to take the chance of being wrong or saying, I don't know. And, you know, it's as we, I mean, we, we all train, regardless of our discipline, we train so carefully to become technically sound, to have content authority in our given areas and so it's natural that it becomes more intimidating to us to ever be wrong. And as we elevate, as we rise in authority, um, it becomes um, riskier to ever take the chance that we would misfire on a judgment call. And the stakes are, of course, very high, um, higher in medicine than nearly any other profession. And so it's natural that people would back down from those moments where there is risk that they would either speak out of school or want to, you know, be uncomfortable in that way. Would you agree? I would agree. It just, I think you've hit on a key point, right? There's that discomfort in not actually being wrong, but worrying that you might be and that that can be a barrier or being kind of what just happened, right? That a, a, a presupposition you might have. I wonder if people do go into a talk that you give and they have a supposition about where you're coming from and who you are and what your background is. And it's not always easy to get your mind changed. And it can feel a little bit odd to be able to say, well, I've been I've been doing this wrong for a while and, and now my opinion is totally different or my thought process is different. That's 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 discomforting. That's not easy. And it doesn't happen all the time. So it just it does not feel like the norm. Agreed. 
So, that being said, you acknowledged at the beginning, and I acknowledge at the beginning, that we do approach questions of healthcare, development, leadership, everything, from two different perspectives. My background is, I'm a, I'm a physician, your background is, you are an expert in organizational improvement, and you've been doing work around healthcare leadership now for, for some time. You and I do reflect the opposite sides of the coin. And I, I was gratified that as you and I were kind of getting ready for the show, you mentioned something that I put on social media and I've talked about on the show before. There is a graph. <laughs> there's, a, there's this graph that reflects the change in basically just straight numbers of personnel, numbers of physicians in the United States and numbers of healthcare administrators in the United States. Healthcare administrators, I like we just lay that in. That's a huge bucket. You can apply it, it to is. a lot of different people. So that might be one variable in this that we should just kind of keep in the back of our mind. But the graphic, and it'll be in the show notes, shows a huge deflection about 30 years ago. Huge. Where basically you have two lines moving in parallel. One of them stays in the same direction. It's flat. It's, it's almost a perfect horizontal. And the other one bends upward almost 45 degrees and does not stop. So the physician population in the United States stays flat. The number of healthcare administrators reflects up, and it's an upward trajectory. So now the separation between the two is massive, and there's this huge area under the curve now that's filled in by quote-unquote healthcare administrators. I will yeah. fully acknowledge I have put that graphic up there as a reflection of my frustration and as a reflection of me feeling like some this, this graphic demonstrates that there's something inherently wrong with how we are doing this work. I got the sense that in my doing so, and in the responses that I get, right, that's, that's a way to kind of get people fired up. I yes. will, I will ask and engage with you. Your perspective on that curve is different. It is. And I've seen it so many times and it's disheartening to me um, because I really dislike that bloat. I like that word. That's apt. That's good. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's stunning when you see that graph in person or at face value, but there's so many layers of, of, of um, nuance underneath that. And I, I want to bring this up for, for several reasons. First, I obviously have, you know, grown up on that side of the fence, if you will, and, and you on, on, you know, the side of the physician community. And I understand why there's a visceral reaction to that, and rightfully so. But if we all rewind in our minds, and I think that that graph, if I remember correctly, starts in the 50s or 60s. So we're, we're about 50 or 60 years into that data set at this point in time. And the reality is, if we look at the key regulatory changes that have been introduced within healthcare during that period of time, and you can see some subtle changes on another version of the graph that I've seen, and I'll share with you so that you can put in the, in the show notes, Mark, um, the introduction of some key regulatory changes that were introduced within healthcare that have changed dramatically the amount of reporting and the documentation requirements, and then some of the other, I mean, that, that have by nature inflated the number of individuals that is required for a, a singular physician to practice his or her craft of medicine. Um, 
it, it stands to reason why that bloat has occurred. Um, and then when we all think about over that period of time as well, the technology that's been introduced that has dramatically transformed the way that medicine is practiced, healthcare is delivered, it doesn't excuse that graph. But I appreciate having this conversation with you because one thing that I'd like to say relative to this conversation is that I think it pits administrators and physicians against each other when we're all on the same team. And as as more and more physicians transition into administrative roles, and I cheer them on, and I'm so happy to see that happen, um, because by and large, physicians make amazing executives because of their line of sight, too, and their purview of how healthcare is delivered at the bedside. Um, we have to realize that if we're just fighting each other inside our own houses, and we're not jointly in alignment, taking on those external secondary forces that are interact or those secondary outside forces that are influencing our profession, our industry, we will fail. A house divided cannot stand. I will stand in agreement with almost everything that you said. First of all, I appreciate the Lincoln quote. I will say this. I think that your use of the word bloat is a good one. It does carry a little bit of a negative connotation, I think. And I think that that's fair because this is a huge explosion of a workforce. And I, I might suggest, right, if we want to get really efficient, that there might be some places where that could improve. Um, but here's, here's where I'll say the curve itself is a representation of frustration for me. I agree with everything you just said. I agree with everything you said about increased regulations extraordinary increases in complexity, all of that stuff, right? There's work to be done. I'm, I'm good. Here's my concern is that while the number of administrators is rising to meet those challenges, the number of physicians is almost flat. Why are we not growing the physician workforce and the workforce of people providing care in step with that same growth? And I would submit that in some amount, some amount of that responsibility does lay on the people that create these big programs, which would be the administrative side. The, all of those regulations and all of that complexity, I will share with you, like that lands on the physician at the bedside. It lands on, and this graph does not include advanced practice providers like nurse practitioners and physician administrators and nurse anesthetists. But I would submit that even if you add them, it, the curve is not going to deflect all that much up. That's a huge problem. And so my frustration comes where we're talking about this and I know how lean the physician workforce is run. We have no margin for error, none. We have no backup. If somebody is sick, if somebody is on leave in any program across the United States, it's a huge problem bordering on a catastrophe. And I say that because it will affect patient care. Your numbers of people you're responsible for, the numbers of things you have to take care of, the risk of error, all of those things go up dramatically. And that's just with the rhythms of daily life. And then we say, where I get really frustrated, and the last time I talked about this on the podcast was actually with Eric Topol. We were talking about his book, and we talk about the rise of AI and machine learning and all these wonderful things that have all this hype. The first thing that we see amongst the, the, the things that are going to happen is that physicians are going to lose their jobs. Like we are, we are adrift if we're saying let's trim the workforce by getting rid of the physicians. I look at that curve. I hear those statements about what the future is going to look like. And I'm going to push back really hard. Absolutely. 
And rightfully so. Your points are incredibly well taken. And I think it takes many. I mean, this is this is another conversation. This is, you know, so many conversations that must be had. And I think my my challenge to you and, and you are doing that this this podcast as a representation of that is being a voice, finding your voice yeah. and being that voice so that your voice is heard. Um, because if it's only ever, you know, um, an administrator's voice that's heard, that's not the whole story. There's yeah. no way that it can be. And so I, I, I applaud you and so many others for having your voice and making your voice heard and then being someone who amplifies the voices of others who's, you know, who need to be a part of that conversation. It's a complex and it's a messy and it's a tough conversation, but we have to have it because this is not a good direction. And what I will do now, I think when I use the curve is I will be sure to use more context around it. Instead of leaving it for people to, people can interpret it and take what they want from it, but I'll be sure to put my take on it. And I will say that my take on it is different than it would have been five years ago, because as a physician leader, I've had the opportunity to grow a program. And as a hospitalist medical director, we doubled the size of our program in less than two years where our physician workforce almost doubled and our number of rounders per day and our number of physicians seeing patients per day doubled. So there, that can happen. You can grow. And so I think it is really important that we figure out how do we drive that curve? I will submit some of it does lay on administrators, quote unquote, having the vision to say, how do we grow our programs and fill them in? And when we're laying regulation and technology and complexity on the physicians, we have to buttress them with more people, with more well-trained people to build a program so that we have, you know, we have mutual support, we have redundancy, all of the things that you need so that people can, can do their work, but also do it for a long time. And I would also submit to physicians, man, take the growth mindset, grow your program the best that you can. But then if you're not being allowed to grow your program, don't, don't take things on if you can't do them. And then the problem, then it becomes a problem to be solved. Physicians aren't good at that. We take on the work. We just put it on our shoulders and get after it. And we're getting to the point now where we're at the asymptotic line. We can't get, we're not going to get where we want to go. We're going to keep chasing it, but it's, the weight is too heavy. And then that takes us into a whole other ocean that you and I are not going to be able to boil today of what is the effect that that then has on your workforce. And I think you and I can probably We'll just leave it there, but we can, we know what those effects are. They're not good. Correct. When you're meeting with physicians, when you're meeting with administrators, cause you, you very much are the pluripotent expert in building and training and improving around this work. How much does it, does this issue of a disparate workforce or a, a, a risk shift or a burden shift where one side feels overloaded and resents the other? How often does that dynamic come up? I think I've seen a distinct increase in recent years simply because of that. Um, we've, we've seen so much of an increase in our workplaces of collaboration, of interdisciplinary work teams, of dyadic models, and that has increase the incidence of people wrestling with it and, and being challenged by it. But to speak specifically to that, you know, equal distribution of the workload or how we are approaching solving the problem of how to how to work in these more collaborative ways where 
the members of a team don't all perform the same work. It's it's terrifically complex and it involves a lot of open communication, challenging communication that um, doesn't get solved easily. And then when you have diverse work teams, people communicate or work in different ways or process in different styles. And then you bring in that human component of people, you know, being very different individually and it's rife with conflict without a doubt. And there is, if I had a silver bullet to answer that question, um, I'd be living on an island somewhere, but then I'd be coming back to keep working. I was going to say, you would not. No, you wouldn't. You'd go visit for a week and you'd come right back. Precisely. (laughs) Totally. So speaking of doing the work, right, you don't, you, you do the work. You get behind the mic and you host a podcast. You get in front of large audiences, you get in front of individuals and you, and you build skills. You got, I like the term heat check that when someone just goes off and they just have this long run of stuff that you just, you, you can't look away. It's a heat check. So, you know, like in, in the NBA, somebody starts just, just hitting three after three after three, they're on a heat check this fall. You have a heat yeah. check coming up. And so let's walk through the opportunities that you have this fall, the opportunities that people have to come and watch you work and why to, why follow you on social media coming up over the next few months because there's going to be a lot of this. There's going to be a lot more of this discourse, but there's also going to be a lot of you leveraging the expertise that you've built over the years to you know navigating these problems and helping people gather the insight to actually navigate these problems. So first, there's there's I know there's three big shows that you have I don't know if show's the right word, but there's three big opportunities, three big conferences where we all gather that are coming up this fall. Walk us through what that looks like, and then I want to hear about your sort of sense of anticipation when you've got this itinerary coming up. Yeah, so um, in my speaking practice, I definitely have you know a level of intensity. There, there's a heat check in, in the spring and in the fall, and um, interestingly, it coincides with my busiest months in the programs that I lead on campus at Creighton University. So um, my family knows that, you know, I can kind of kick back a little bit during the winter and a little bit during the summer, but spring and fall, um, I sprint a fair bit. So we'll start with a couple of those um, national courses that you referenced. There is a cluster um, of several programs that I'll be serving as a guest faculty for um, three major women in medicine conferences that happen nationally um, two in September. The first is the Brave Enough Conference. Um, my amazing friend and longtime colleague, uh, Dr. Sasha Shulkut, is the course director, and um, I'll be teaching at that course in Scottsdale. It is the week of uh, September 12th. The following week, um, I'll be uh, teaching as a guest faculty at the Women in Medicine Summit in its second year in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Shika Jane is one of the two co-course directors for that amazing course. Um, and then in November, um, I'll be teaching again for the third year at um, Dr. Julie Silver's Harvard Medical School um, Career Advancement for Women in Medicine course, which um, is all three are brilliant, but um, that will keep me on airplanes a fair bit. Um, and then in October, um, my executive MBA program that I lead at Creighton University is on campus for one of our semi-annual on-campus residencies. So 
no shortage of busyness or, or hustle for me in those couple of months this fall. Give a sense of scope. How many people will get to, how many people are going to be working with you in total? And I know I mean, you're, you're part of larger faculties and we get that, but you're going to be a part of these four major programs. Get, what's the sense of scope? How many people are total are going to be involved in, in these four? Oh man, it's, <laughs> it's a couple thousand. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And so when you're approaching something like that, what is the sense of anticipation? Is it, is it high? Is it, I've done this before. I know the drill. Is it, oh my gosh, what is coming? What have I gotten myself into? Where, where do we land on that scale? Oh man, it's, it's, um, you know, a full 10 on the meter of adrenaline, Yeah. but just because it is, you know, something that I'm so deeply passionate about. I, as I mentioned, I definitely, you know, lean a little bit closer to the introvert side um, of the spectrum, but so, so big courses like this are, are intense and they really, really drain me, but they also totally light me up. It's, um, it's an interesting paradox. So much, much positive anticipation. Obviously, a lot of preparation goes into just the content that I'll be uh, delivering in each of the sessions at each of those conferences. But I love nothing more than being able to equip and encourage and hopefully inspire and challenge leaders in a way that is hopefully compelling and, and effective. It is, it is work that I will never tire of doing. So we'll have links to each of these conferences. If people want to go or follow them along, follow them on social media, they should. How do people find you after they've heard this and they say, this is, this is good stuff and I want to listen in and I want to learn more. How do we find you? Yeah, great question. Thank you, Mark. So uh, I'm really active. Well, probably not nearly as active as some um, on Twitter, but very active on Twitter. My handle is at Lori Bedke. People can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. And then I have a weekly podcast, Growth Edge Leadership Podcast, where um, much like you, I interview physician leaders, healthcare leaders, entrepreneurs, individuals from other disciplines who just have really awesome wisdom that I uh, feel compelled to share. This is great stuff. I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. I'm very pleased that we did not duck. We did not skirt around. We did not avoid the obstacle. We went right at it. We, we pivoted and we got through it. This was a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed getting to connect with you on my show. It was a thrill to be on your show several months ago. Lori, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. Mark, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I just, I'm, I, I'm so pleased to know you. I've grown so much from your show and your content and knowing you. And I just, I applaud you. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.